Hello, this is the sixth bookish talk, a small-ish offshoot of our iBook Binding podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Pavel, finally in somewhat more decent uh, resolution. I would even call it high. Uh, uh, my co-host is Stepan, and today he will be talking, and I will be asking him about a medieval paper mill in Switzerland. What's it called again? Uh, well, it's 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 a museum. It's it's a, a paper mill museum in Basel, Basler Papiermühle. It's a museum of uh, paper making, but not only paper making. It's a pretty comprehensive uh, museum of uh, book process from uh, from the beginning, from making paper to making the final book. So it's about everything, and I think it's one of the best uh, museums dedicated to this topic I ever ever seen in my life. Uh, so Basel, it's uh, no, uh, northern Switzerland, virtually on the border of uh, Germany, right? Yeah, both both on the border uh, with Germany and with France. So there are three countries coming together. Uh, well, right near Basel. Uh, and and actually, from what I remember, it's uh, the first uh, city in Switzerland that began uh, printing books. Uh, uh, less than 20 years after Gutenberg, and it's, uh, was, uh, it was a Protestant stronghold back then, and uh, connect, uh, connections are obvious. It's not that close to Mainz, where Gutenberg lived, but then by, uh, by modern standards, not that far either. It's about 300 kilometers. Uh, so 300 kilometers in 20 years for a technology, that's pretty fast yeah yes yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, we should remember uh, late 1460s there was maybe a dozen cities other than basel with any book presses in them so they were very very early on and uh, the paper mill itself i guess I, I i should run some pictures right away here is here is a scene from the inside of, of museum but as I, as I started to say, the, the building itself is uh, pretty old. Uh, the paper mill is 500 years old and uh, it was restored in, in the 20th century when the museum was created. But the paper mill is medieval. Yeah, here. Oh, you, you, you can, can see, see paper pulp, pulp moving in the beater. And yeah, it's pretty loud. <laughs> Actually, could you explain uh, why do you need a mill to make paper, which part of the process is actually mechanized? This, uh, this uh, large wheel we saw from the outside, it's uh, directly connected to this uh, smaller wheel inside. So these hammers are beating the cloth uh, to two smaller shreds that are later used uh, as, a, as a paper pulp to uh, make paper. You need a pretty, pretty fine and pretty homogeneous mass of cotton rags or something like that. Uh, to make paper, you, you don't want to see any large pieces of cotton cloth uh, remaining in this uh, mix. Modern uh, home-based uh, paper makers sometimes use um, things like uh, electric blenders or something like that if they don't have larger machinery, which is uh, quite expensive. That's funny. I thought that you just leave it uh, in water and it just disintegrates. We should return to this idea of yours a bit later when I show you one specific photo in a few moments. 
So, so it takes so it takes what under a minute to, uh, to make a sheet of paper. Two sheets of paper, because as you can see, uh, this person has a split uh, mold so that creates two sheets of paper at once. And of course, you can you can split split the mold in more parts to make more smaller uh, sheets of paper. But anyway, as as you can see, conditions are pretty harsh because uh, you are working with the water all day and uh, it's loud and uh, not the, not the best working conditions anyway. And what and, and what about the smells? Because I imagine this can't be uh, nice in in that regard either. Well, this part of the process is pretty okay, uh, and there shouldn't be any any bad smells at this moment. But once again, we'll return to this question a bit later. <laughs> well, uh, the loud uh, uh, part of the process uh, can be uh, skipped for smaller scale uh, paper makers, uh, but uh, having your hands uh, wet uh, throughout the day—that's just what happens uh, when you when you make. Uh, a lot of paper and uh, that's that's something that you cannot skip well I, this i don't get either if it's such a big problem why do you have to put your hands in in, uh, in the water can't you use some kind of rig to put it or uh, do you need a, a, a fine manual control to make it uh, as smooth as, as possible well, yeah. Firstly, it's it's an old technology, and uh, uh, in many ways, it uh, didn't change a lot since uh, this paper mill was uh, built. Next, uh, of course, there are some rigs, and uh, if you check uh, some, uh, for example, some videos uh, about uh, Japanese paper making, where they make uh, insanely large sheets of uh, uh, paper, they definitely use rigs. But still, water goes everywhere, and you can't be can you just can't stay dry. It's, it's just not an option. <laughs> but anyway, this is so this is the environment of the first area of, of the museum you come into when you when you come from the outside. Uh, the, the whole first floor, uh, ground floor, is dedicated to uh, paper making processes and uh, uh, there is some demonstration as you can see um, a museum employee uh, makes some paper right, right away and uh, you can also participate in making paper you can make some paper and uh, i will show some photos of that process a bit later and these are two main ingredients i, I guess uh, uh, which make this museum so great because firstly you can see many processes in action and then you can you can try them on your own of course not not on a scale uh, like this uh, uh, person is making a lot of paper you can see all the all the uh, pieces of cloth laying, and uh, between them there are sheets of paper, newly made sheets of paper. So he's making a lot of paper uh, throughout the day, uh, and and you can touch different objects. Uh, I'll show you some photos as well a bit later. You can touch paper molds, you can touch uh, printing devices, and all that stuff. And the third important ingredient is that uh, this museum has a really comprehensive collection of, of stuff from all the different epochs and technologies. So it's just, just an amazing place. And what about all, all the paper? Where does it all go? Do they sell it? Do they print something on it? Yeah, both. They have a, a gift shop at the museum, so you can buy some of the materials they create. 
and also they have uh, they they print stuff and uh, uh, they do some limited print runs as far as I remember and uh, you can buy that stuff as well. There will be a uh, fewer videos after that moment and uh, more photos. As you can see here are some of the paper making molds. There are all the different sorts and shapes and sizes uh, paper molds for uh, multiple sheets, round sheets and uh, even some uh, uh, paper molds with uh, three-dimensional watermarks uh, 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 like this one. Even here you can see that it's uh, it's not a flat uh, watermark, but uh, uh, here, it's, here it is how it looks like. That, that's amazing. Do you, uh, do you make any such uh, ornaments? Uh, are your watermarks two-dimensional? Well, I, I uh, experimented with uh, making three-dimensional watermarks and uh, I achieved some results, but I definitely need to experiment more because uh, it's not as easy as uh, <laughs> as I thought. I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, could you show the uh, the previous uh, photo for, for a moment? Yeah. So uh, it, it's basically like a woodcut block. Uh, no, it's 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 a fine uh, uh, wire mesh. It's a fine wire mesh that is uh, formed in a special way. How the hell did they make that? <laughs> Surely well, they, they needed something like a woodcut block and then they formed the mesh uh, on top of it? Probably. I, I'm not sure about the technology of making these uh, uh, three-dimensional watermarks like this one. Uh, flat watermarks are usually made with, uh, with wire as well, so there is additional, there is an additional a layer of wire that is attached uh, to the mesh and uh, that's that's how you get watermarks here it is so here is a flat watermark and it's you can see it's it's a bit small in detail but uh, you can see that it's just uh, pieces of wire that are uh, put atop the original wire mesh and uh, they are attached with s even smaller strings of wire so that they wouldn't move. So basically, wa uh, watermarks, how do they work? Uh, they are places where the paper is uh, thinner? Thinner, or? yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, because because you have this uh, uh, raised uh, surface of, uh, of wires, uh, there will be, uh, the, the, the layer of paper will be thinner and that's why it will be lighter. Uh, will it be as smooth? The top of it? Well, yeah, the, the top surface will be, will be absolutely smooth because uh, you pour the uh, paper pulp into your uh, mold and as, 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 with, as it is with water, it's, it's, uh, it's level. But uh, assuming you write on both sides, you don't want, uh, want to write uh, at, uh, <laughs> over the watermark. Well, after, after you, uh, after all the water uh, sifts through the mesh because uh, this mesh exists to allow water go through, uh, and only paper pulp remain on on the uh, surface of the of the mold. You put this newly formed sheet of uh, uh, paper to a press, and uh, it becomes thinner. And depending on 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 how high the watermark is, it can be almost not visible from outside, from from the backside of the uh, sheet. Like with I don't know, like with money, the watermarks are so fine that you do not really see them without uh, looking through the banknotes uh, to a, a light. Okay, so this was one of those touchable uh, 
uh, yeah. things. It says yeah. hands-on, yeah? Yeah. Oh. And the other thing that uh, this, uh, uh, these two molds show, besides the watermark, is uh, two main types of uh, uh, paper molds. So there is wolf paper molds. Uh, they, they, they have this uh, fine mesh of very thin uh, wires and uh, they create paper that uh, almost do not have any pattern to it. Uh, I, mean, I mean like watermark pattern, like here. It was a wolf mesh. You almost do not see any openings uh, through which uh, water goes through. Initially, you asked even if, if it was a, a solid block. But of course, it isn't because water needs to go through. And the resulting paper is uh, almost perfectly even. You can see some differences in color, but it may be because of the lighting, maybe because of uh, uh, the layer of uh, uh, paper pulp that wasn't perfectly even, but still you wouldn't see any, any lines or something like that uh, uh, from the mold. And then uh, I will stop sharing uh, for a moment and we'll show you some paper I made with my own molds and to, to talk next uh, about the... So this is, uh, this is laid paper. And you can see these vertical chains and you can see uh, horizontal lines and uh, and now we will return to this photo and I will give a bit of an explanation. <laughs> Here you can see these vertical chain lines and the horizontal smaller lines. That's how this uh, pattern of uh, laid paper is created or how, how, how it appears. These are two main types of paper molds that are used uh, since long time ago. And why would you choose uh, one over uh, the other, save for aesthetic uh, considerations? Is there a difference? Well, that's definitely a question we should uh, we should address uh, to uh, some professional paper maker, and I hope uh, we will have uh, at least one of them uh, among our guests uh, in in the nearest future. My guess is that uh, to make uh, a mold for for um, wolf paper or wolf mold uh, is much more expensive because it's it's a lot uh, a lot of uh, hard work to do a mesh like that especially if you are if you are living in in middle ages when there is no machinery to create uh, fine meshes uh, <laughs> really cheap that, that that's only my guess that uh, um, molds for late paper uh, should be much cheaper and here is the process of uh, uh, paper making that's uh, available to all the visitors of, of the museum. Uh, as you can see, you, can, you, you use uh, much smaller uh, molds, but still the process is pretty fun. And uh, in the end, you get uh, a piece of paper with uh, watermark uh, designed after the uh, coat of arms of, uh, of Basil. Uh, you mean you make your own paper and they give it to you immediately? Doesn't yeah. it need time to... Uh... Well, there are two, two main approaches to drying paper. First, you can uh, press it and then leave it to dry until tomorrow. And, and uh, second, you can uh, uh, heat it in a heating press and it will be dry in just uh, just a few moments and uh, once again we should ask a professional uh, i know that for example uh, watercolor paper uh, exists in in two different uh, dimensions there is uh, cold pressed and the hot pressed paper and uh, there definitely is some difference uh, to uh, these two types of paper but what are they 
we should ask a professional paper maker. There is a lot more on this ground floor dedicated to history of paper and uh, all the stuff uh, uh, related to paper making. And there is some fun stuff and uh, uh, some stuff like this. There is an exhibition of uh, different types of toilet paper. And uh, for example, did you know this uh, fact that there are two types of people in the world? There are folders and uh, there are people who crumple uh, toilet paper. And uh, uh, as, as far as I understand, uh, my, my, my dear wife, uh, uh, had uh, made some research uh, because because she's a professional market researcher and uh, Europeans mostly uh, use folded sheets of toilet paper. And uh, as it said, uh, as it is has said here, uh, people from United States uh, are mostly uh, taking a lot of uh, uh, toilet paper. They crumple it and then they use it this way. Of course, there are different approaches in different regions and, and countries, and uh, uh, some. Some uh, in in some regions, some countries, uh, people prefer not to use toilet paper, but to use to use uh, uh, water to wash uh, themselves after they go to toilet. So there are uh, really different approaches. But did you know about this? You made me think. I'm neither <laughs> folder nor a crumpler. I'm afraid I swing both ways. <laughs> Well, but now I'll uh, I'll have to choose a, a position and stand it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and once again, there is a lot of uh, uh, different machinery exhibited the, exhibited uh, in the museum. Uh, there is a variation of uh, of a beater, as far as I remember here, uh, and uh, quite impressive uh, presses in in the back. Uh, that's the moment when you ask about the smells and stuff, because uh, this, is, uh, this is a pretty deep hole. As far as I remember, uh, the perspective doesn't allow to see it really, how, how deep it is. Uh, uh, but it was something like two or three meters uh, deep. And this hole was used to throw fermented uh, rags in it so that they will decompose there before people start making paper with it because it was uh, one of the easiest ways to uh, to break the longer fibers and to prepare the fibers for for making uh, fine paper so yeah it smelled and it smells pretty badly <laughs> and as far as i understand this hole also its age is pretty similar to to the age of the building so i i suppose this hole is authentic I know that Arabic uh, paper mills uh, were always located outside towns, uh, uh, around where leather making... Leather, leather tanneries, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here is another old artifact, and uh, that's, that's a, a paper making mold, uh, which is uh, truly wove. It's, it's a woven paper making mold, woven with a thread. And we move to, to the next floor because, uh, uh, as I said, there are several uh, floors in this museum and uh, they're uh, pretty much separated into different uh, uh, parts of the exhibition. And uh, here is uh, the floor dedicated to history of uh, languages writing. Once again, you have some interactive moments there. You can uh, try different types of uh, uh, writing uh, tools uh, uh, like a feather or a bamboo stick or uh, uh, something else uh, like like a pen and uh, 
of course, we tried it. And uh, to those who are not reading Russian, and it was really hot in Basel. It was plus 30 centigrade. I, re I really like the part written in bamboo. Yeah, yeah, it's different. And Very it's, artsy. It, it reminds me of our talk with Kalinda Skalov with Stopan, who was uh, describing his experience with different types of uh, writing tools and how the writing tool influences what and how you write and uh, what is the result. And uh, uh, here is an example, completely unprofessional example, but uh, really you can, you can change the mood with just uh, switching a, a writing tool. Here is another interactive part. After you have written your notes, you can seal them to keep them <laughs> for, for a long time. And uh, the person who is, uh, who is doing this, there is a choice of seals, uh, including Basel's coat, coat of arms and other things. And uh, it's, it's, it's really nice that uh, you have all these uh, experiences throughout the museum. And uh, uh, I'm absolutely sure that it should, should be a lot of fun to go to this museum with, uh, with kids. And uh, that was the final experience on, uh, of course, there is much more to see uh, on this uh, uh, first floor of the museum dedicated to writing and, uh, and languages. Uh, I just uh, chose uh, a couple of photos and videos from there, and, uh, but there is much more to see there and much more uh, things are exhibited there. Uh, but uh, the second interactive thing uh, uh, there is there. It isn't uh, related to language, so... Oh, we've seen uh, this trick before on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I shared this uh, video. So you can try uh, some marbling there. It's also, it's, also, it's also really fun and uh, it's, a, it's a fast process when everything is prepared. It's pretty fast. So uh, visitors uh, come and go with their happy sheets of marbled paper. I wasn't as, as happy and uh, creative and uh, I didn't get such a good result as, as my wife did. <laughs> we will, I guess we will skip to, to the next stage right away uh, because uh, uh, there is a lot of uh, things said and told uh, uh, about uh, letters and about languages uh, uh, there, but you should go there too. You should go to the museum and uh, see it on your own because uh, uh, Photo photographing all these uh, things is just not as interesting as seeing them uh, as a whole picture uh, created by uh, museum's custodians. Uh, but then we move on to printing. And uh, once again, there are lots of fun artifacts there. And uh, for example, there is a person who is uh, right there. You can see how type is made with uh, lead or as Ivan Gulkov uh, uh, told us, uh, with uh, lead alloy, not 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 exactly lead. Not lead. Printing alloy. You Print. shouldn't say lead. Oh, I didn't say lead. I said lead alloy. <laughs> Printing alloy. Okay. So uh, there are some old artifacts, and uh, uh, you can see here. That's a reference for all people who uh, speak about. Uh, Gutenberg inventing, inventing a movable type. Uh, so this is sort of a much older movable type from Korea or how the pieces for this uh, uh, movable type were made. And uh, this is how they were fixed on the printing plate uh, with the wax. There are some printing blocks uh, with examples and uh, 
uh, tools to create them. Of course, there is a lot dedicated to Gutenberg there because, uh, of course, uh, European printing is uh, so much dependent on uh, Gutenberg, uh, Gutenberg's invention and uh, creation and uh, process. And then there is a lot of a lot of stuff and fun machinery uh, dedicated to modern printing process. I think there is there there is a part of exhibition dedicated to digital printing process. I'm not sure about that, but uh, well, uh, 20th century is covered pretty well uh, there as well. Once again, I'm not an expert in printing. I I can I I recognize some things and uh, uh, I can see that there is a lot of equipment and machinery there. Uh, and we should probably ask uh, uh, some professionals how well this uh, exhibition is made. But uh, uh, from my personal point of view, it was it was amazing exhibition, and uh, I really loved it. Uh, walking around uh, all these uh, machines, and uh, some of them you can touch. Well, not this stuff uh, because yeah, there is a, <laughs> there is a sign there. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, some things you can definitely touch and. Uh, uh, even try uh, printing some some smaller pieces like uh, this printing press is something similar to what uh, Ivan Gulkov showed us. So we we haven't aired the uh, episode of uh, our podcast with Ivan uh, yet, but you will see it in a couple of weeks. And there are all the different types of uh, printing objects, uh, not only for printing with, uh, with uh, paint, but also with, to, to make some embossing or some stuff like that. There's also a lot of fun stuff uh, for, for a while for people who wanted to know how printing with smaller blocks uh, yeah, or, or printing of uh, illustrated uh, books uh, was, was made. So you can see uh, some blo blocks down, smaller blocks down below uh, that work assembled and composed to create all these uh, compositions of uh, illustrations in, in old books. What a great way, a great way to, uh, to show how it all works. Yeah, exactly. Without those blocks, you wouldn't think it was, uh, it was made in separate parts. It looks like... Uh, a single uh, piece, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, still it was assembled uh, with lots and lots of smaller pieces. And sometimes they, they were rectangular in shape. Sometimes they were uh, of some, some strange shapes to allow for additional objects to be uh, printed uh, alongside. Like this postman. I'm not sure if these uh, uh, horns uh, uh, were separate pieces or they were on the same piece uh, as, as, the, as the postman. I guess they were, they were made separately because uh, if you if you check the the vertical alignment, uh, this horn overlaps a bit with this bicycle, and these these probably were four different pieces here, like these small two pieces and these two larger pieces. It 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 does make you think. Now I now I look at at those old uh, old magazines and we'll try and see uh, the border and, the borders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Then, once again, something else, uh, a printing pattern for uh, a shooting target. So, <laughs> as I said, there are, there are lots of, lots of uh, uh, different types of objects that make you think uh, how, how the books and prints are made. And uh, uh, that's, that's a great part of uh, 
that's a great aspect of this uh, museum and the exhibitions that uh, this museum uh, has uh, uh, that they they really make you think and they they probe your mind and give you things to think about and uh, uh, that's that's pretty impressive and and also it's such a contrast with, uh, with how uh, uh, books and other things are printed nowadays yeah uh, you make a document and you send to print it and here you can see that there is a whole craft to assembling those images in and elements into one coherent whole yeah absolutely and and that's that's not an easy job uh, well you can always do a sloppy sloppy work and uh, uh just make some prints but if you want to do it properly and if you want to to it to look uh, fine and to be properly aligned and uh, follow the rules of typography that's a lot of work and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's not an easy work to do <laughs> here is to uh, some a bit modern more modern technologies it's uh, it's a great illustration of how offset printing works from left to right you can see from from a larger grain moving to uh, smaller grain and finer details and on the other hand you can see how all the styles of uh, pop art and uh, modern comic culture were created uh, by this offset printing. <laughs> because that's, that's exactly what they adopted uh, as their style. And it's so attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, another interactive part. Have, have you ever used a typewriter? Because I certainly learned to use it about as early as I used my first computer. I don't know which came first, but at around, around the same time. I remember my mother printing uh, her scientific papers on a typewriter. Well, definitely. My mother had uh, uh, several typewriters because uh, she worked as a translator and uh, and she just typed a lot of uh, different stuff. And uh, uh, as a child, I tried using old style typewriters and uh, modern electrified typewriters. So all the, all the, all the things, all that stuff. And, uh, oh, you mean, one of, you mean one of those uh, IBM monsters? Uh, no, she had a smaller uh, Olivetti, as far as I remember, typewriter. Now, now those I, com I completely uh, skipped. So I used a typewriter, and then we uh, switched to, to computers. I've, yeah. uh, I've seen electric ones uh, uh, at uh, at the scientific institute where my parents worked in Moscow, late '80s, early '90s, before everything collapsed, and there were neither typewriters nor the institute. But anyway, there there was a big room with like 20 women printing like that and smoking, smoking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once again, very loud because of, of all these oh, yeah. uh, typewriters. Yeah, I remember that pretty well as well. For any, any New York that uh, likes uh, book history and uh, technology of bookmaking or printing, uh, this is the place to be and to spend some quality time and uh, there is a there is a section dedicated to bookbinding as well and uh, we shared uh, uh, some photos on our instagram before and uh, 
they always attract a lot of attention because uh, the uh, bookbinding workshop that is recreated in this museum is absolutely astonishing. I can, I can, I can see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Many people should be absolutely envious at this moment. <laughs> so you can see some really nice tools and equipment in use over there. And as far as I understand, I think these are smaller sheets of paper, like uh, business cards or something they, they use in their museum or they use for their interactive uh, uh, experiences or something like that. So uh, this, ex this equipment is really used. It, it doesn't just stand there doing nothing. It's, it's used. And uh, uh, as, as, as far as I understand, they also have some demonstrations from time to time. It's just that it, in, it, at that exact moment when we were in, in visiting the museum, uh, not all of the uh, people uh, uh, doing the uh, show and tell uh, were there in, in their places uh, because, of course, they, uh, there, is a, there is some sort of schedule and uh, you should definitely check this schedule before going. Uh, I think they have this schedule on the website and uh, there are lots of different interactive things uh, happening in different moments of the day and on different days of the week. Uh, and you can see it even from a photograph that it's not a sterile environment. It's not uh, a museum uh, in all sense of the word. Uh, it uh, feels alive. You can see it's being used, it's being loved, it's being looked after. It looks like a well-used tool as it should, because that's what it is. And uh, so, so often in these kinds of museum, you want to touch it and, yeah. and you can't and, it, uh, and really why not? So it's almost the end of the museum's walk and uh, the museum is really impressive and you can try a lot of stuff. And I didn't show any photos of uh, uh, book objects that are exhibited there because uh, uh, there are lots of uh, things there uh, like uh, Inco novels, uh, first printed books and uh, uh, manuscripts and uh, uh, modern books and stuff like that. So there is a lot of things to see and uh, there are some uh, replicas of old books that you can touch and browse and uh, that's, that's also pretty impressive. Once again, returning to this experience uh, with the Gutenberg Bible we had in Moscow, when they they had a, an object uh, exhibited openly, but uh, somehow it wasn't uh, allowed to to touch it. Uh, <laughs> it's really strange. That's a, that works absolutely differently in in this museum. Well, there are some pieces you shouldn't touch, and uh, you will have a sign uh, somewhere there. But uh, there are lots of objects you can touch and. Uh, and use and uh, try to uh, you know, create and print and draw and write and uh, make paper and everything else. Well, I'm extremely envious of, of you. I only had a few hours in Basel, so I had no, no chance to visit. I hope someday. Thanks a lot. This was really inspiring. This is what book museums should be like. Yeah, yeah, they definitely. Should. They should be an experience. And uh, first, if you are in Switzerland, you definitely should go there. Or if you are in the corresponding parts of uh, South Germany and uh, 
I guess it's East France, Northeast France. That's first. And, uh, and then uh, you shouldn't be afraid uh, because of the name of the museum, because it's called uh, Paper Mill. It's definitely, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, stuff dedicated to paper, but there is a lot of stuff dedicated to other processes de dedicated to uh, creating books. So uh, this is a museum for all bookish people. Well, I guess uh, this is it then. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it for today. Many thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Uh, we had uh, several new subscribers in, in the recent days and uh, money that are coming from our patrons on Patreon uh, cover the expenses on editing uh, of uh, these videos and that's that's great help uh, to our project. Uh, thanks a lot to you. You will see some of the names of people who support us uh, here, all, all of the people who uh, made pledges of uh, $3 and more. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, check our blog, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, check our shop uh, with uh, tools for bookbinders and paper makers. And I guess see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.